You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. Welcome to WTUZ Radio Podcast. I am your host, Rhonda. Uh, Today's topic, we are doing a part two on the Mohenhan Report. Um, So we're going to get into it. Uh, Before we do, I do want to give a disclaimer yet again. If you have an issue with black women talking about black men, uh, child support, um, black men not having employment, black men abandonment of their family, the black family structure, this is not the show for you. Uh, Please log off uh, because what we're not going to do is have a bunch of negativity feedback. The purpose of this show is to go over the history of the state of the black family. Okay. All right. So let's get into it. Use some technology here. Okay. So uh, the source of this information, this report, although it's called the Mowing Hands, uh, the official title is The Negro Family, The Case for National Action. And this particular report was published in 1965 by the Office of Policy Planning and Research, United States Department of Labor. Okay, so if this is your first time listening to this particular series, I highly encourage you to go back to the first one and I will link the first one in the information section at the end of this video. It will be in the upper right hand corner of the screen of the YouTube screen. Okay, so we're going to move on and uh, just for the sake of time, I'm not going to cover uh, the slavery, (coughs) excuse me, because that will require me to go into a lot of depth and detail and specifically to bring in specific, accurate history of that time period. And that is not the purpose of this particular series. Um, I am going to also put the link to this report in the description, and I encourage everyone to download this report for your records, uh, read through it yourself, and also I would hope that discussions are had with this report, uh, specifically between black men and black women. All right, so we're going to go to part two of this report. In the first uh, part of this report, we went over um, marriages and the data that they pulled spanned back from the 1940s all the way up until 1963. And it was very, very telling. Uh, I was shocked. I had no idea. I always assumed just based on my family dynamics and the history of my family, that the numbers were a lot greater. 
<clears throat> now, the marriage numbers were higher than they are today in the black community, but the level of single parenthood for black women heading a household were still high, and that was because of the uh, black father being missing out the household. And they broke down specifically the reasons why the father was missing out of the household and compared those numbers uh, to uh, white families. It's very, 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 very telling, okay? All right, so I encourage you to go to part one if you have not listened to it. Okay, so let's get into part two. We're going to start at Reconstruction. So bear with me here. Let me get down to page 16. Okie dokie dokie Guess technically I could just type it in and hit enter. I think it's going to take me a little bit too far or maybe not far enough. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then um, just as an example in part one, it also went over um, unemployment rates for black men as well. Um, it really, really, it was some telling data in part one family. So I highly encourage you to check it out. Okay. So again, we're not going to go through the slavery. You're free to do that on your own. Okay. So let's get into the reconstruction. <clears throat> With the emancipation of the slaves the Negro American family began to form in the United States on a widespread scale, but it did so in an atmosphere markedly different from that which has produced the white American family. The Negro was given liberty, but not equality. Life remained hazardous and marginal. Of the greatest importance, the Negro male, particularly in the South, became an object of intense hostility and attitude unquestionably based in some measure on fear. When Jim Crow made its appearance towards the end of the 19th century, it may be speculated that it was the Negro male who was most humiliated thereby. The male was more likely to use public facilities, which rapidly became segregated once the process began, and just as important, segregation and the submissiveness is it exacts, is surely more destructive to the male than to the female personality. Keeping the Negro in his place can be translated as keeping the Negro male in his place. The female was not a threat to anyone. Okay, so that shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. Um, now, interestingly enough, there is a untold history of Jim Crow. I hope he kept that video up. Um, he did some excellent research on the true origins of Jim Crow. It's a lot more dynamics behind it than what we are taught, of course. Um, not sure if he still has that video up. You could check out a, a gentleman on YouTube named uh, Legendary Top Cat. He did an entire show on the Jim Crow laws and did a lot more supplemental research. So I encourage you to check it out. 
And this is one of the reasons why I can't go over the slavery stuff because it will require me to bring in all that supplemental history. And that's just another show within itself. Okay. Unquestionably, these events worked against the emergence of a strong father figure. The very essence of the male animal from the bantam rooster to the four-star general is to strut. (laughs) That kind of tickles me with that rooster and strut. But anyhow, indeed, in the 19th century America, a particular type of exaggerated male boastfulness became almost a national style. Not for the Negro male. The sassy n-word was lynched in this situation the negro family made but little progress toward the middle class pattern of the present time margaret mead has pointed out that while in every known human society everywhere in the world the young male learns that when he grows up one of the things which he must do in order to be a full member of society is to provide food for some female and her young. Now I'm going to sip my water. What has been shocking me over the past 20-something years um, is the dynamic between men and women, and specifically I am talking about black men, and black women, because I cannot compare what Caucasians do. Um, That's not my business, nor my problem. What has been shocking to me over the past 20 years is folks really not understanding these roles, okay? And I would say most of it has to do with your individual family dynamics and experience. So meaning if you did not grow up in the dynamics where you, number one, had a father in the home, and then number two, had a father in the home that worked and provided, this concept is foreign. Not only to the men, but sadly for the women. And I would say extremely sadly for the women because they accept the situation of a man not knowing what his main role should be in the family dynamics. Okay? Right. So we're going to continue. This pattern is not immutable however it can be broken even though it has always eventually reasserted itself so i'm just going to read this quote again i'm going to read it slow because again now this is just my experience over the last 20 something years and i'm talking as a collective let's be clear i am talking as a collective in every known, if this is what's missing as a collective, let me be clear, as a collective in the black community, this is what's missing. 
In every known human society everywhere in the world, the young male learns that when he grows up, one of the things which he must do in order to be a full member of society is to provide food for some female and her young. This is what's missing as a collective in the black community. This pattern is not immutable. <laughs> However, it can be broken, even though it has always eventually reasserted itself. Within the family, each new generation of young males learn the appropriate nurturing behavior and superimposed upon their biological given maleness, this learned parental role. Okay, so again, as a collective in the black community, this is what's missing. What is the role of the man in the family as a black collective this is what's missing and it's getting worse all right but we're going to continue now remember we're not talking this report is in the 1980s we're not talking that this report was in the 1990s. We're not talking that this report was in the 70s. We're not talking that this report was in the 2000s. This report was published in 1965. Okay? When we had 20%, I think it was maybe 25% of... <coughs> single parent where women, black women, were single mothers, <clears throat> but <clears throat> the true number, <clears throat> excuse me, family, but the true number of single parenthood was much higher because although the women were married, legally married, the husband was not in the household nor involved with raising the children and providing for the children okay now today single parent household for black women and children is 70 percent it could be higher i have to check last time i checked it was 70 percent okay so what they're saying once again and I'll just break it down in plain folk language. Who's teaching men what their role is? Who's teaching them? So if black men are absent in the household or they are not currently as fathers serving their role as being the provider for women and children, who's going to teach the upcoming generation that that is what their role is supposed to be? I'll continue. When the family breaks down as it does under slavery, under certain forms of indentured lab labor and serfdom, just real quick, I need to throw that this in here. This is why I can't cover the slavery topic in here because when you talk about slavery you really need to talk about indentured 
uh, servitude. They call it indentured labor. So shout out to this report for even putting that in there. But I know we're not here for that. Um, I am surprised that they put that in this report, but we'll continue. Under certain forms of indentured labor and serfdom in periods of extreme social unrest during wars, revolutions, famines, and epidemics, or in periods of abrupt transitions from one type of economy to another, this delicate line of transmission is broken. Men may flounder badly in these periods during which the primary unit may again become mother and child. The biologically given and the special serpents, uh, the special conditions under which man has held his social traditions and trust are violated and distorted. Okay, so that should make sense to us. They're pretty much saying that in times of duress, um, war, revolutions, yada, 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 that the role of providing may fall on the woman, not may fall, will fall on the woman because of those conditions. E. Franklin Frazier makes clear that at the time of emancipation, Negro women were already accustomed to playing the dominant role in family and marriage relations, and that this role persisted in the decades of rural life that followed. Do you all understand what they're saying there? That's pretty damn powerful. So that goes back to, that goes back beyond 1940s where this report could actually document hardcore numbers. So if we want to take the emancipation, let's take after, let's say the Civil War. So let's say, what was that, 1865? You mean to tell me that since 1865, Black women were play, playing the dominant role in family and marriage relations. And that particular role continued. Let's continue. Urbanization. Country life and city life are profoundly different. The gradual shift of American society from a rural to an urban basis over the past century and a half has caused abundant strains, many of which are still in evidence. When this shift occurs suddenly, drastically, in one or two generations, the effect is immensely disruptive of traditional social patterns. It was this abrupt transition that produced the wild Irish slums, of the 19th centuries, Northeast, drunkenness, crime, corruption, discrimination, family disorganization, juvenile delinquencies were the root routine of that era. In our own time, the same sudden transition has produced the Negro slum different from, but hardly better than its predecessors. 
and fundamentally the result of the same process. Okay, so I know even um, in my particular family dynamics, we are from the South, both sides, on the mom side and the dad side. And not that you couldn't tell from my country twang. <laughs> so uh, what am I the... I'm the fourth generation. Um, I guess when I was born, I was what the one, two, three, third generation, third generation from being where the family moved from the south to the north. Okay, and um, same story that most tell that moved from the south to the north. It was for better job opportunities and specifically to escape the Jim Crow laws. All right. So, um, yes, I am familiar with that quite heavily based on what my ancestors and my parents told me. Okay, so let's get back up here. Negroes are now more urbanized than whites. Okay, so here it goes into the urban population as percent of total by color by region 1960 okay um so it wasn't too much i don't think that was too much big of a jump uh 69 overall for whites and 73 for blacks so that wasn't a huge jump but as you can see they broke it down by the particular regions northeast Ooh, 95% versus the 80% of whites, North Central, 95%, woo, versus 66. I didn't expect North Central to be that high. Uh, the South, uh, that, that kind of makes sense. So they were on uh, between black and whites in the South. This is by in the 1960s, remember, it was even keel, 58%. And out West, now this one shocked me. This one shocked me. A 92% of blacks uh, out west, and we're talking the cities, and then 77% uh, of whites. I did not realize that, child. Okay, so just keep in mind that this data is coming from the U.S. Census. <clears throat> All right. So Negro families in the cities are more frequently headed by a woman than those in the country. The difference between the white and Negro proportions of families headed by a woman is greater in the city than in the country. Okay? That makes sense to me because anybody from the South, um, maybe not today, not today, nah, not today. I can't even say today. I definitely can't say today. But back up in the day, I think even with, I think the last was with, with my generation. You know, when we would go visit the South, you know, everybody that we knew, they were married. All right. And as a matter of fact, I think my generation was the last one. This is a true story. And I went away to college. Um, It was... Uh, one of my classmates, she was from the South, and she had a little boy, 
and um she was able to go away to school because her family took care of the baby the little boy while she was away at school um also you it, it some now this was up north some folk or some girls that would get pregnant not in every family not in every family let's be clear not in every family but in some families if a girl got pregnant out of wet wet lot depending on how strong of a family dynamic she had or they had in the south she would literally go down south and she would straight be missing for a good year she would be gone for a year and which was really she was gone to have that baby um and sometimes the grandparents raised the baby in the south or sometimes she came back and all of a sudden she had a quote quote little brother now i know that happened a lot in my parents generation because they told us about it it happened a little bit in my generation okay so this particular dynamic about um women being single mothers or head of the households up north versus south that does not surprise me now if you listen to our first um report on this what did surprise me with the south numbers were the number of men abandoning their families that part shocked me okay because it was still a high percentage with the south um as well as the north the south was only a couple of percentages behind okay so here we go percent of negro families with female head okay and so this is by in 1960 this is by region wow okay so overall remember this is for black folk overall in the united states 23 percent in the city, 19% in the suburbs. I guess they weren't calling suburbs, suburbs back then. They were calling it rural non-farm. And then in the country, 11%. Which, to be honest, once again, I was even shocked that it was 11% in the South. <coughs> or in the country okay but i was still right 11 percent. okay so specifically northeast 24 percent the suburbs 14 percent in the country four percent north central 20 percent 14 percent in the suburbs eight percent in the country in the south oh wow i bet you that's what the high numbers were in the south because oh, i'm sorry family let me turn this phone off these notifications that just burns me up every time i go live everybody and they mama brother and cousin wants to uh <laughs> text okay so this 24% in the city in the South. 
So that would mean like your Atlanta and Memphis, which in part one, Memphis single parent status was really, really high. It blew me away. It was uh, Memphis and Dallas. Really, really high. I was shocked. So this number makes sense. So 24% in the cities in the South. In the suburbs, 20%. That's high, too. Whoa! That's high, too. Now, remember, y'all, this is 1960. Um, and then in the country, 11%. In the West, 20% in the city. Remember, we're talking about single black women heading the household. Single mothers. Shit, let's keep it real. Break all this language down. We're talking about single mothers. Pay attention because there's a narrative going around that black women just started doing this. They need to choose better. All of this, one, two, three, four, five. And not to say I disagree with some of that. But let's not sit up here and pretend because there are root issues to what we see today. Right? So in the West, it was 20%. In the city, in the suburbs, 9%. And in the country, 5%. The promise of the city has so far been denied the majority of the Negro migrants, and most particularly the Negro family, okay? So again, just to recap, when they talk about the promise of the city, you had the, a great migration of blacks from the south to the north, and it specifically started happening during the time in the south when the Jim Crow laws started taking effect. Like I said, my family on both sides were one of those families that left from the South to the North for better opportunities. Now, not the entire family, but some of the family, particularly the younger folks. So meaning Big Mama and them stayed in the South, okay? But their children, because remember back then, Big Mama and Papa were having nine, ten children. Hey, that's how it was on both sides of um, my parents. They came from siblings. Uh, I think it was nine on both sides. Yeah, nine on both sides. All right? Okay. In 1939, E. Franklin Frazier described its plight movingly in that part of the Negro family entitled in the City of Destruction. The impact of hundreds of thousands of rural Southern Negroes upon the Northern metropolitan communities presents a, bewil a bewil bewilderingly, sorry y'all, spectacle. <laughs> Should have had more coffee. <laughs> Striking contrast in levels of civilization and economic well-being among these newcomers to modern civilization seem to baffle any attempt to discover order and direction in, the, in their modes of life. 
In many cases, of course, the dissolution of the simple family organization has begun before the family reaches the northern city. Child, let's see what he say. So according to dude, that the family structure breakdown was before um, black started going from the south to the north. Child, let's see what old boy got to say. But if these families have managed to preserve their integrity until they reach the northern city, poverty, ignorance, and color force them to seek homes in deteriorating slum areas from which practically Okay, so hence, at the same time that these simple rural families are losing their internal cohesion, they are being freed from the controlling force of public opinion and communal institution. Family desertion among Negroes in cities appears then to be one of the inevitable consequences of the impact of urban life on the simple family organization and folk culture, which the Negro has evolved in the rural South. Child. Woo. Let me go back. This is deep family. I, I struggle with part one. I had no idea um, anyone that was fortunate enough to grow up with their grandmother um, and especially women. Uh, and, and I was fortunate enough that I was with both of my grandmothers, actually three, because I also, uh, my mom got remarried to a wonderful man. And I love that grandmother uh, just as much. She was my, as like she was my biological grandmother. And um, all three of them, I don't know what it was about me, um, would just sit me down and give me their wisdom, okay? And it was, it, the, the interesting thing about it was at different points in my life. Uh, you know, one grandmother, it was when I was relatively young, when we used to, we used to call it going down south when you are a northerner, that your family you're from the South, you still have family in the South. So meaning um, Big Mama and Papa still lived in the South. So every summer you would go down South, okay? And, uh, you know, as little children, we loved it. Uh, that's how I was able to see what a working farm actually is. Uh, it's just a wonderful experience. And during those summers, I would um, spend a lot of time with my grandmother. And by then, uh, Papa, he had passed because he passed, wow, when I, I was young. I remember him just a little bit when I was young. And then he passed. So the one grandmother that we would go 
a visit down south and um the soap operas up well caucasians call them soap operas black folks call them stories y'all know what i'm talking about i don't know who still watch the stories child i can't do it but <laughs> back then it was all about the stories honey so i would um sit with my grandmother and watch the stories and she would have that snuff can and all. Now, those of us from the South, y'all know what I'm talking about when I say that snuff can. That coffee can. She chewed that tobacco and used to spit in that can. So she would be sitting there. Now, this was after. Because she had to get up at the crack of dawn and go out in that yard and maintain the farm. Okay? Because my brother had to feed the pigs. I'm so glad I didn't have to do that. <laughs> yuck i would feed the chickens or if it was time to harvest something i would be with grandma harvesting so after you done done all of that uh first of all good breakfast was cooked they didn't play that bowl of cereal these are true stories family i promise you in the south they did not play that bowl of cereal they had like breakfast breakfast <laughs> <laughs> so your breakfast then you went out and did your chores and then from that point it was free free for all you could go outside and play this that and a third so when the stories came on i just like sitting with my grandmother watching that she took that opportunity to literally talk about what was going on in the stories, she was breaking it down to me. Life lessons. Literally. She was breaking down to me life lessons. But she put it in a way that I understood it. And then as I got older, because it just became a tradition between her and I. Okay. As I got older and I could comprehend even more, then she would start telling me the family dynamics. Okay? Still didn't understand why she was doing what she was doing. Okay? So, I just find it very, very interesting in this report that they talk about how going from the South and going up North, I know that this is hard because I, I did not realize that it goes back this far. Um, how we get into family desertion. All right, I'll keep going. Frazier concluded his classic study, The Negro Family, with the prophecy that the travail of civilization is not yet ended. First, it appears that the family which evolved within the isolated world of the Negro folk will become increasingly disorganized. Now remember, 
This is 1960. Modern means of communication will break down the isolation of the world of black folk. And as long as the bankrupt system of the Southern agricultural exists, Negro families will continue to seek a living in the towns and cities of the country. They will crowd the slum areas of the Southern cities or make their way to the northern cities where their family life will become disrupted and their poverty will force them to depend on charities. Stop. So again, with the breakdown of the southern economy for black folk was forcing them to go into either the cities in the South, so the Atlantas, the Memphis, the Dallas, etc., or go up North. And although they were went up North or into the cities for better opportunity, they still just face poverty. And then it says, we'll force them to depend on charity. Okay. One third of non-white children live in broken homes. That's, this is a lot, family. Remember, this is 1960. Overall number, 10%. For whites in the United States, this is 35%, y'all, for black folk. Remember, this is back in the 1960s. City life. Whites, what is that, 11%, 11, maybe 12%? For blacks, what's that? Mm, if that's 35, 36, 37, 38%. Remember, we're talking broken homes. This is in the 60s. The suburbs, about the same, 10%, maybe 11%. For blacks, what, 34% in the country, low, maybe 8% for whites, for blacks, talking 25, 27%, something like that. Remember, this is 1960s. One third of non-white children live in broken homes. Let's continue. In every index of family pathology, divorce, separation, and desertion, female family head, children in broken homes, and illegitimacy, the contrast between the urban and rural environment for Negro families is un mistakeable. 
right? So those that are given the narrative that the problem that we're facing today is single motherhood and marriage would change that. Well, you have to go back and look at the numbers because what the numbers say that even we had a higher, black folk had a higher marriage rate back in the day. So from the 40s, when they really started um, tracking this stuff via the census, and to be honest, they could really go back further than that because those that have done their genealogy, you know they had the census before the 40s, but okay, we gonna keep it like that. So from the 40s, all the way up to uh, 63, the study was done. There was a high level of marriage. So about a 70% high level of marriage. But once you dig into the numbers, take out divorce, separation and desertion. So meaning they were still legally married, but the father just was not in the home. And it was headed by female or women. It was headed by black women. So you literally had single. No, you had married, married black mothers that were really just single mothers. So I'll say that again. Those that are running around with the narrative that the issue today is that black folks aren't getting married and that black men and black women are having children out of wedlock because you can't just put that on the black women. Because last time I checked, a black man has to uh, impregnate the woman, okay? Although those are still two adults making that decision, don't get me wrong. That's not the root of the problem. That's only a symptom of the problem because based on these statistics, as far back as 1940, all the way up to 63, when there was a high level of marriage or higher level of marriage in the black community, you still had a high level of women heading the household because within that marriage, those marriage numbers, you had separation and desertion. Harlem, into which Negroes began to move in this century, is the center and symbol of the urban life of the Negro American. Conditions in Harlem are not worse. They are probably better than in most Negro ghettos. The social disorganization of central Harlem comprising 10 health areas was thoroughly documented by the Haru report, save for the illegitimacy rates. These have now been made available to the Labor Department by the New York City Department of Health. There could hardly be a more dramatic demonstration of the crumbling, the breaking of the family structure on the urban frontier. Child. Estimated illegitimacy ratios per 1,000 live births for blacks in central Harlem by health area, 1963. 
okay? All right, so here are the numbers. I'm not going to read through those. So it says the total of uh, per thousand. So it's saying that the uh, estimate illegitimate ratio per 1,000. So total is 434. Per thousand now, so wouldn't that be 430, 434,000? If that's per thousand, 434,000. That's in 1963. Okay, and um, they break down the different areas. And it, it, as you can see, there isn't a number under 400. Well, there is in the, uh, one uh, area. It was uh, 367,000. Those are high numbers, family. Remember, that's in Harlem. Let's be clear. That's in Harlem. That's one specific area. Let's continue. Unemployment and poverty. The impact of unemployment on the Negro family and particularly on the Negro male is the least understood of all developing developments that have contributed to the present crisis. There is little analysis because there has been almost no inquiry. What? Wait a minute. Shut the front so-and-so door. What? What? Child, I don't want to lie up upon these people up in this report. Let me go back to this. The impact of unemployment on the Negro family and particularly on the Negro male is the least understood of all developments that have contributed to the present crisis. There is little analysis because there has been almost no inquiry. So ain't nobody tried to track that? Let's just continue. Unemployment for whites and non-whites are alike. I guess they tracked it, but the reasons why, this is deep. Unemployment for whites and non-whites alike has on the whole been treated as an economic phenomenon with almost no attention paid for at least a quarter of a century to social and personal consequences. Okay, so they just wasn't tracking the impact. In 1940, Edward White Bake described the effects of unemployment on family structure in terms of six stages of adjustment. Although the families studied were white, the pattern would clearly seem to be a general one and apply to Negro families as well. Okay, so in other words, back to what they were saying up above of not being tracked, they really didn't dig into what impacts <clears throat> black, not the impacts, because they did dig into the impacts, but the root cause and the social roots of unemployment with black men. Okay, they did it for white families, but not black men. The first two stages in with the ex exhaustion of credit and the entry of the white into the labor force. The father is no longer the provider and the elder children becomes resentful. 
The third stage is the critical one, a commencing a new day-to-day existence. At this point, two women are in charge. Consider the fact that relief investigators or caseworkers are normally women and deal with the housewife. Already suffering a loss in prestige and authority in the family because of his failure to be the chief breadwinner, the male head of the family feels deeply this obvious transfer of planning for the family's well-being to two women, one of them an outsider. Child, let me sip this water. So basically what they saying, y'all, is that because the father is not the main provider, the sole provider of the household, that um, the women get the authority and the other is the caseworker. So obviously the caseworker, that must mean getting government assistance, right? Now remember, they are talking about white families uh, because they said they wasn't tracking it for black families. Now that's not saying that black families weren't getting welfare because they know we know that they were. Okay. His role is reduced to that of an errand boy to and from the relief office. Child. So I guess they was able to talk to white men about how they felt about the situation. Um, I don't know, either they didn't talk to black men or black men didn't want to participate. But child, that's all I can say. And this also um, was interesting about that because another narrative that has been told is that welfare took men out of the home. Really? Oh, okay. That's not what this says. His role is reduced to that of an errand boy to and from the relief office. Now, let's stop right quick and talk about that narrative that welfare took men out of the home. No, it did not. When they were doing those welfare checks, now, I'm not saying that they didn't go overboard when they were doing the little checks and stepping out of line, um, trying to humiliate people and all of that. I'm not saying that by one bit, but the purpose of doing those welfare checks, because if a woman was to go down to the welfare office and say that the father abandoned the children and herself, they're going to get X amount of benefits, right? And they're going to ask, I'm assuming they're going to ask, is there it who's all in the household? She has to account for that. So herself and the children. So if they come on and, and check the home or do what they call welfare checks, checking in, make a physical visit to the home, and a man is physically living there, er, wait a minute. That's not what you said on this paperwork. So you're going to have to come back down and factor in dude being here or you're going to lose your benefits. That is different.
from welfare taking the men out of the home. Okay? So these false narratives, they have got to stop. They're dangerous. And not only that, as a man, and this goes back to what is your role in a family dynamic as a man, what does that say about you as a man that a welfare check can run you out of the home from your wife and children? That is a dangerous narrative, and it is an inaccurate narrative. Okay, so uh, there is a movie from the 70s called Claudine with Diane Carroll and um, the Luke, I am your father, man. Oh, James Earl Jones, that's it. It's called Claudine with um, Diane Carroll and James Earl Jones. It specifically shows you a single mother her being on welfare, and she was also a working single mother. Let me add that up in there. And how she, when the welfare check came, the welfare lady's check came, so the uh, caseworker came to check up on them. Uh, she needed to hide all of the, the things that she would um, deem that she thought they were kind of deduct from her check. But one of the main things was to make sure there was not a man living in that home. Okay? So it got to the point where she had got her a little boo. They had got serious. And it was time for the caseworker to come over. She made an um. And this is a spoiler alert, but it's still a good movie, y'all, because it has so, so many other dynamics in it. And it is a perfect example of going over what they're talking about in this report. Go watch that movie, Claudine, because they lived in the city. So the welfare lady or the caseworker had came, honey, unannounced, did a surprise pop up. And her old man just so happened to be over there with his legs crossed. Now, he didn't live there in in Claudine's defense. In Claudine's defense, he did not physically live there. He was hiding. And she tried to hide all his stuff, this, that, and the third. They got busted. She was like, look, he don't live here, yada, yada, yada. Bottom line, he was like, you know what? I'm not going through this. I'm not coming down here with y'all telling you all of my business, being up in my business for this check. Pretty much is what he said. Okay, that's what was going on with welfare. It was not that welfare was taking the men out of the home. So I highly encourage you all, if you had not seen that movie, Go watch it because it has it all in there. Even has it from the man perspective with him having children. Go watch that movie. It runs neck and neck with what this report is speaking on. So my nosy behind 
I had to ask, you know, as I got older, what's that movie? Um, true. I had to ask my mom and them, although my mom didn't have that particular situation. She's like, yeah, pretty much. That's what my mom and my aunts and them told me. Like, what? And my mom specifically told me that the reason why they stopped those uh, caseworker checks. Now, I'm not sure if they stopped them in every city. I could only speak for the Chicagoland area, and they may have started them back up. That at the time when she was telling me this, she said that they had to stop them because the caseworkers was getting beat up. Child. Because they kept, you know, coming out of bags. And you know how that goes, family. People walking around your house saying, oh, wait a minute, you got a curling iron? Oh, no, where you get that from? Nope, that's being deducted. Okay. All right. So let's move on. If the family makes it through this stage, Bake finds that it is likely to survive and that the rest of the process is one of adjustment. The critical element of adjustment was not welfare payments, but work. The critical element of adjustment was not welfare payments, but work. So that whole argument with welfare taking the men out of the home in the black community, it's a dead argument. Not only is it inaccurate, not only is it toxic, it's a dead argument, period. Or as the youngins say, part. It's a dead argument. Welfare is not going to pull your family up out of poverty. Let's continue. Having observed our families under conditions of unemployment with no public help, or with that help coming from direct and from work relief, we are convinced that after the exhaustion of self-produced resources, work relief is the only type of assistance which can restore the strained bonds of family relationship in a way which promises the continued functioning of that family and meeting the responsibilities imposed upon it by our culture. So now according to them, not having the assistance is better than having the assistance. Okay, now is this because of folk becoming dependency on that assistance? Let's see what they say. Work is precisely the one thing the Negro family had in such circumstances has not received over the past generation. The fundamental overwhelming fact is that the Negro unemployment, with the exception of a few years during World War II and the Korean War, has continued at a disaster level for 35 years. Whoa. Remember, this was 1963. Okay, so let's read the footnote for this part. Work is precisely the one thing that the Negro family had in such circumstances has not received over the past generation. An exception is rather small impact 
of the ADCU program since 1961, now expanded by the Title V of the Economic Opportunity Act. Okay. Make sure. Okay, yep. Once again, this is particularly, uh, particularly the case in the northern urban areas to which the Negro population has been moving. Okay, so in other words, <clears throat> people left the South, black folk left the South to go up North for better opportunities when in fact those better opportunities never really came from the perspective of, of work. Actually put them at a, a deficit. The 1930 census taken in the spring before the depression was in full swing showed Negro unemployment at 6.1% as against 6.6% for whites. What? So it was higher for whites in the 1930s? But taking out the South reversed the relationship White, 7.4%. Non-white, 11.5%. Wow. By 1940, the two-to-one white Negro unemployment relationship that persists to this day had clearly emerged. Taking out the South again, whites were 14.8%. Non-whites, 29 0.7%. Yeah, that's a huge difference. Dang. Unemployment among Negroes outside the South has per persisted at catastrophe levels since the first statistics were gathered in 1930. Okay, so this is the up North unemployment rate. Okay, so they started in the 1930s. <clears throat> a little bit over 10% for blacks, for whites, under 10% in the 40s. Woo, dang. Close to 30% for blacks, a little bit over 10% for whites. In the 50s, you had for blacks, about at 10%. And then for whites, 5%. And in the 60s, a um, little bit under 10%. And then um, about 5% for whites. Wow. Okay. So these are the unemployment among blacks in the uh in the north and i'm assuming they uh, put the west numbers in here also i forgot i can't leave out the west also wow since 1929 the negro worker has been tremendously affected by the movement of the business cycle and of employment he has been hit worse by declines than whites and proportionately helped more by recoveries. Okay, which makes sense because if you hit the worst, that means you would need more 
assistance. Okay. From 1951 to 1963, the level of Negro male unemployment was on a long run rising trend. While at the same time, following the short run ups and downs of the business cycle. So you know what that tells me. That tells me, let me sip my water, that black men depend heavily <clears throat> on the white system for employment. That's what this tells me. If it's saying <clears throat> the ups and downs are based heavily on the business cycle, okay? Now, of course, we have to always factor in that if white folk were doing the hiring and white folk own majority of the businesses during this time period, that they were looking out for their own. <clears throat> so they were looking out for the white man or their white male counterpart. Okay. During the same period, the number of broken families in Negro world was also on a long run rise with intermediate ups and downs. Okay. So again, <clears throat> what this is telling me is that <clears throat> because black men could not keep steady employment because of their dependency on the white system to employ them, it also impacted their home. A glance at the chart on page 22 reveals that the series <clears throat> move in the same direction up and down together with a long run rising trend, but that the peaks and troughs are one year out of phase. Thus unemployment peaks one year before broken families and so on. By plotting these series in terms of deviation from the trend and moving the unemployment curve one year ahead, we see the clear relation of the two otherwise seemingly unrelated series of events. The cyclical swing in unemployment have their counterpart in increase and decrease in separations. Makes sense to me. The effect of recession unemployment on divorces further illustrate the economic roots of the problem. The non-white divorce rates dip slightly in high employment years like 1954 to 55, 58, and 61 and 62. Divorce is expensive. Those without money resort to separation or desertion. <clears throat> Let me go back over that. Divorce is expensive. Those without money resort to separation or desertion. So that goes back to in part one. When we were talking about um, the household being headed by single women, <coughs> it wasn't from the birth of in illegitimate children as that number being high, it was based on separation or desertion. So meaning, so meaning married single women. 
While divorce is not a desirable goal for a society, it recognizes the importance of marriage and family. And for the children, some family continuality and support is more likely when the institution of the family has been so recognized. So in other words, what they saying is those high numbers, so as a collective in the black community, from the periods of the 1940s all the way up to 1963, married families, um, the high rate of married single motherhood based on separation and desertion still did not, the black man or the father still were not supporting and taking care of that family. Okay. Although from a society standpoint, that is the main component of marriage. The conclusion from these and similar data is difficult to avoid. During times when jobs were reasonably plentiful, although at no time during this period, say perhaps the first two years, did the unemployment rate for Negro males drop to anything like a reasonable level. So that's telling right there. So in other words, not that Negro men or black men always had low unemployment rate. The Negro family became stronger and more stable. As jobs became more and more difficult to find, the stability of the family became more and more difficult to maintain. So now I'm going to say again, this directly correlates to the black man depending on a system ran by white men to give them employment to feed their families. Okay. This relation is clearly seen in terms of the illegitimacy rates of census tracts in the District of Columbia compared with male unemployment rates in the same neighborhoods. Child. In 1963, a, a, a prosperous year, 29% of all Negro men in the labor force were unemployed at the same time during the year. Well, damn. You mean to tell me 30%? Although half of these men were out of work 15 weeks or more. So meaning what they're doing is saying to be fair of this 30%, not all of the 30% were unemployed 100% of the time. Half of them were out of work for uh, 15 weeks. So a couple of months at a time. The impact of poverty on Negro family structure is no less obvious, although, again, it may not be widely acknowledged. There would seem to be an American tradition in, in, in its origins, but reinforced by attitudes of urban immigrant, immigrant groups to the effect that family morality and stability decline as income and social position rise. 
Over the years, this may have provided some consolation to the poor, but there is little evidence that it is true. On the contrary, higher family incomes are unmistakably associated with greater family stability, which comes first may be a matter for conjecture, but the conjunction of the two characteristics is unmistakable. All right? So that should be pretty self-explanatory. The more money or with your family not being in poverty, a greater, if you want to say morality or family values and family stability, your family will have. The Negro family is no exception. In the District of Columbia, for example, Census tracts with medium incomes over $8,000 had an illegitimately rate one-third that of tracts in the category under $4,000. Okay, so there's the data to back it up. The wage system. The American wage system is conspicuous in the degree to which it provides high incomes for individuals, but is rarely adjusted to ensure that family as well as individual needs are met. Yeah, and that's still today, honey. They don't care nothing about what the cost of living is versus what you're getting paid. As a matter of fact, since the 60s and the 70s, um, it has gotten worse. And that decline started happening in the 80s when it was the breakup of the unions for those blue-collar workers, thanks thanks to the Reagan era and the trickle-down economics. It has gotten worse with American wages keeping up with inflation or the cost of living. Almost without exception, the social welfare and social insurance systems of other industrial democracies provide for some adjustment or supplement of a... Hey, Dad, wait a minute, y'all. We're going to get back to those stats. Dang. I got to go all the way. (laughs) Of a worker's income to provide for extra expenses of those with families. And American arrangements do not save for income tax deductions. All right, family, so hold on a second. Um, I have to take a quick pause. We're going to come back, and we're going to go over these graphs. So bear with me, family. Hold on. Okay, so let's look at this chart information. Unemployment rate of black men compared with percentage of white women separated from husbands. Let me just read that again. Unemployment rate of black men compared with percentage of white women separated from husband. Comparison of unemployment rate. Okay, well, I just said that. Okay, so what line are we saying? So this is the unemployment rate. So this is black men unemployment rate. What's this number? Down here. Compared to non- compared to white women's white women separated 
Okay. Okay, so white rem white women separated in percentage. Okay, so that's this line. And then unemployment rate in percentage. Okay. Unemployment rate for black males age 14 and over versus percentage of white married women separated from their husbands. Wow, family, these numbers. Eeh. Okay, so this is the black man's unemployment rate versus the white women who were um, percentage of white married women separated from their husbands. Okay. So they ran about neck and neck. They're running about neck and neck. Okay. So meaning even when white women are separated from their husbands, the unemployment uh, compared to the unemployment of black men. So that would even mean black men that are married it's about neck and neck. Okay. Among black men working during the year, one-fourth or more experienced unemployment. Okay. So they did this all the way back to 55. Um, among black men working during the year, of, during the year, one-fourth or more experienced unemployment. Okay, so unemployment for the year so that represents the year and then the black um graph represented 15 weeks or more so wow what that's saying is the overall unemployment number for black men during the year is much higher so not working for the year is much higher than working on and off 15 weeks or more so being out of work 15 weeks or more So in 1955, a little bit above 20% of black men not working at all for the year uh, versus working most of the year, only 15 weeks, a minimum of 15 weeks or more, a little bit under 10% in 56 not working at all during the year for black men was under 20%. Uh, working at least part of the year. It's a little bit over 10%. 57. Child, it's just going up. 57. About 23% of not working at all for the year. Working part of the year. A little bit over 10%, uh, 58 and 59. It looks like they didn't track or they didn't have data for only working partially of the year. 
So in 58, for not working at all for the year is over 25%. 59, it dropped a little bit at 25%. 1960, <clears throat> over 25%, almost 30% of black men not working for the year at all, uh, working partially for the year, a little bit over 10%, 61, damn, just keeps going up, 30%, a little bit over 30% of not working at all for the year. Working partial for the year in 61, a little bit over 10%. 62, uh, not working at all for the year. Looked like it dropped. Uh, probably 27%. Working partial for the year in 62, <clears throat> about 12%. 63, it dropped, because remember in the report uh, earlier, it said 63 was a good employment year. But even with a good employment year overall, still high for black men. <clears throat> it's over 20% for not working at all. Damn. And then um, for... Working part of the time, a little bit over 10%. This is unemployment among experienced workers. Child, that makes it even worse. This is unemployment under ex among experienced workers. All non-white male or all black males are unemployed as a percentage of all who worked or looked for work during the year was 29.2%. In 1963, compared with 27% among experienced workers. Those are high numbers, family. 30% percent of non, percent of black illegitimate births in 1963 and the District of Columbia census tracts as related to black 1960 unemployment rate of the census tract. Okay, so let's see how to read this. Census tract with non... Okay, so these are the... Let me see which one is the unemployment. Census track with non with black male unemployment rates. Got it. And then these are the births. Oh, family, this is so depressing. Child, this is depressing. And this was in what, 63? So 12% unemployment rate and over illegitimate births. 40%, 9% unemployment rate to 11.9%, little bit under 40%. 
6% unemployment to 9% was about 30% illegitimate births. 3% to 6% of unemployment, the illegitimate birth rates, a little bit under 30%. Under 3% unemployment rate versus illegitimate birth rates, 15%. Oh, child. Remember, this is the 60s, fam. So what you're looking at here is the higher the unemployment rate against black men, the higher the illegitimate birth rate. This just, this just, child, this is just blowing my locks back. So who can afford to have the children the least? Who can afford to take care of children the least? Somebody with employment or some type of income, employment or business, or those with employment. Right here, family, this graph right here, this sums up a mentality. So people unemployed, men unemployed, men unemployed, 